you're listening to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 o'clock and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. After an update on the Caldor fire, CAP Radio's Scott Rod joins the California Report to share the latest news about an ongoing investigation that explores Governor Newsom's record on wildfire prevention. Then we'll look at regional news and weather before listening to this week's economic report with retired Federal Reserve senior economist Gary Zimmerman. We close tonight with some science news provided by Al Stoller. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Caldor Fire burning in the Sierras east of Sacramento is now the number one priority for state and federal firefighting agencies. Cal Fire Chief Tom Porter said Monday that the blaze has the potential to push across the mountains to one of California's most iconic landmarks. It is knocking on the door to uh, the Lake Tahoe Basin. We have all efforts in place to keep it out of the basin. But we do need to also be aware that that is a possibility based on the way the fires have been burning. So far, the Caldor Fire has burned more than 117,000 acres. It's also destroyed 400 homes and threatens more than 17,000 other structures. Its designation as the nation's top wildfire priority puts it first in line for additional firefighting resources. In related news, the California legislature has indefinitely postponed a planned oversight hearing to examine the Newsom administration's track record on wildfire prevention. That, as internal emails obtained by CAP Radio and NPR's California Newsroom, raise new questions about whether Cal Fire is being honest with the public. CAP Radio's Scott Rod has the latest in our ongoing investigative coverage. We've been exploring Governor Gavin Newsom's record on wildfire prevention for months. Our investigation in June revealed he had overstated by nearly 700% the amount of forest thinning and prescribed burns on his priority projects. They were meant to protect the state's most vulnerable communities from wildfires. Our top story this hour, we're waiting for a response from Governor Gavin Newsom after a report showed the governor misled the public on the state's wildfire prevention projects. In an investigation... The story got a lot of attention. Lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, called for increased oversight and scheduled a hearing that was supposed to be held last week. But as the date approached, with much of the state on fire, Democratic lawmakers postponed the hearing indefinitely. Assemblyman Richard Bloom of Santa Monica chair of the subcommittee that would have held the hearing, told us he postponed it because Cal Fire was too busy fighting fires to testify. Aaron Mackey, a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, says that's a problem for people who care about transparency and accountability. I think the message that it could potentially send is that these issues are separate and apart from the agency's mission in terms of managing wildfires and and protecting, you know, the public. The decision to put off the oversight hearing comes amid a new revelation. Internal emails obtained through a public records request show Newsom's hand-picked Cal Fire chief, Tom Porter, ordered the removal of a key document from the department's website, the same day we published our investigation. The document was a fact sheet describing Newsom's priority wildfire prevention projects. It stated the effort would result in work completed on 90,000 acres of forest land. In reality, CAL FIRE completed less than 12,000. 
Shall we take it down? A department official asked Porter. Yes, it's old and outdated, the fire chief said. In another email, the official suggested scrubbing the department's website of other documents that identified Newsom's ambitious goal. Happy to help, the head of wildfire planning and engineering chimed in. He added, quote, I hadn't seen the document till today, after it was brought to my attention. I'll ask them to take it down. Ugh. Again, Mackey with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That is a big concern here. Public officials can basically manipulate the presentation of facts, and they're basically removing evidence created in the public record that they failed to live up to their promises. Newsom and Porter declined interview requests. An administration spokesperson did send a statement saying Cal Fire has been very transparent about Newsom's priority projects. She acknowledged the department briefly took down the two-year-old fact sheet, but did not explain why it was removed from the internet. Republican lawmakers say that underscores why there should be an oversight hearing. We need the Newsom administration to testify and present all the information in an open and public hearing. Assemblyman Vince Fong represents the Bakersfield area. I'm extremely frustrated that the oversight functions of the legislature has been completely stalled and has grounded to a halt right now. Democratic lawmakers say they plan to reschedule the wildfire oversight hearing in the fall or winter after this year's fire season subsides. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com With the FDA's full approval of the Pfizer vaccine yesterday, there's hope among medical experts that it could convince more Californians to finally get vaccinated for COVID-19. UC Berkeley epidemiology professor Arthur Rheingold tells the California Report that the approval is just the latest evidence that the vaccines are safe and effective. Those of us who know what the process really is would have said that We had quite a bit of uh, reassuring data about safety and efficacy to get to the emergency use authorization, but we now have more data. Uh, We have longer-term follow-up on people, uh, both in terms of safety and efficacy. So for people who, who have been waiting for that approval, I think it's great that we now have it. Rheingold, who has also led California's Vaccine Safety Review Group, says it's unclear just how many people were waiting for full FDA approval to get their shot. But that might not be the biggest reason the state sees a jump in people getting vaccinated. The other thing this will do uh, is enable a number of institutions uh, to decide that they will mandate vaccination for their employees, which they didn't feel comfortable doing while it was still only approved under an emergency use authorization. So I think a lot of the impact will will in fact be from the, the fact that there will now be additional mandates 
Several cities and counties across the state have tied vaccine mandates to full FDA approval, and many private businesses in California have done the same. About a third of the state's population remains unvaccinated, although that includes millions of children under the age of 12 who aren't eligible for the vaccines at this time. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, August 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks for listening and have a good day. Cal Fire released a statement today that says that more than 14,000 firefighters continue to battle 12 major wildfires across our state. It goes on to say that there were 39 new initial air attack wildfires yesterday, all of which were contained. So far this year, there have been 6,714 wildfires, which have burned nearly 1.6 million acres. The amount of acres burned in California this year is larger than the Grand Canyon National Park. Currently, the Dixie Fire is over 731,000 acres and is 41% contained. The Caldor Fire is at almost 118,000 acres and 9% contained. The McFarland Fire, burning in Shasta, Trinity, and Tehama counties, is nearly 119,000 acres, and that's 71% contained. And the Monument Fire in Trinity County is 150,000 acres and 20% contained. Locally, a bit of good news. Nevada County reports only one new confirmed COVID-19 case today for a total of 559 active cases. 30 people remain hospitalized. In regional weather, Grass Valley, Nevada City, tonight widespread haze, otherwise mostly clear, with a low around 58 degrees. Tomorrow will be hazy and sunny with a high near 84. The AQI for tomorrow is expected to be better than today's at 76, moderate. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight widespread haze and smoke, otherwise mostly clear, with a low around 43. Tomorrow, expect more of the same, with a high near 73. Tomorrow, the AQI for Truckee and Lake Tahoe is expected to be moderate at 97. For the Central Valley, Woodland and Sacramento, tonight mostly clear with a low around 57. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 88. The AQI for the Valley tomorrow is expected to be good at 50. You can view a map of air quality information at fire.airnow.gov. What will the Fed do next? Retired Federal Reserve senior economist Gary Zimmerman talks to Paul Emery about potential changes to the Fed's monetary policy in this week's Economic Report. This Economic Report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Well, Gary, um, welcome back to KVMR. It's been a couple weeks. Well, once again, the Federal Reserve, uh, they're in the news about the economy this week. Let's talk about monetary policy and how the Fed might start changing or tightening monetary policy. 
Well, thank you, Paul. So yeah, let's start with what the Fed policymakers were discussing and debating at their monetary policy meeting at the end of July. Um, immediately after the July meeting, the Federal Reserve policymakers statement announced that they decided not to make any major changes to their overnight interest rate target, leaving it near zero, and their quantitative easing uh, or $120 billion a month bond buying program. And those, you know, those decisions were pretty much expected at the July meeting. Um, then last week on Friday, the policymakers published the minutes from their July meeting, and it, you know, it has received lots of media coverage. The minutes indicate the policy changes the Fed was discussing and considering, and when and under what economic and financial conditions they might start making any policy changes or tightening. And you know, those changes would start with tapering or reducing the size of the monthly um, bond purchases that are currently at $120 billion a month. After the bond purchases are done, they're likely, um, you know, going over to take time to increase the Fed's overnight interest rate target to about two and a half percent. You know, that's the target rate that, you know, today is is near zero. Well, Gary, were there any uh, big surprises to what uh, Fed policymakers were discussing in, in your view? Uh, no, Paul, the Fed policymakers, and those are the Fed governors in Washington, D.C., and the 12 regional Federal Reserve Bank presidents around the country, um, you know, they don't like to surprise the financial markets and the economy. And there were indications in speeches and comments from several of the policymakers that they were interested in beginning the process or discussing the process of gradually moving away from a monetary policy, providing lots of support to the economy and the recovery with bond purchases that lead to low interest rates and with low short-term interest rates, you know, and all those things were designed to help the recovery from the short but very deep COVID recession in 2020. And of course, in making those decisions, the Fed policymakers are evaluating data on the economy and the financial system. And those have been a little bit more mixed in recent weeks. Uh, but they, you know, want to know especially how close the economy is to reaching the Fed's two monetary policy goals. That would be full employment, you know, somewhere around 4%, and an average 2% inflation in the long run. Well, Gary, uh, how close is the Fed to those goals? Well, on the positive side, Paul, the economy has added about 1.9 million jobs over the past two months. That's quite a few. And the unemployment rate has moved down to 5.4%. Um, that's you know, still above, well above 4% that many of the Fed policymakers consider to be full employment. Um, but obviously, it's much closer than we have been since COVID ravaged the economy in 2020, and the unemployment rate soared to almost 15%. So you know, we, we still have a ways to go there, but we're make, making progress. Uh, meanwhile, the inflation rate numbers have moved noticeably above the Fed's 2% inflation target for the first time in <laughs> a decade. Um, some, some measures up to 4 or 5% from a year ago. But you know, most policymakers expect that spike to be temporary as the supply chain, supply chain issues um, and the 2020 COVID impacts wane. So that you know, overall, that's a plus two you know, if it is a, a temporary increase. On the downside, and I'd go with uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell's recent comments, you know, the, the big impact here is, you know, how much of an impact does COVID have, in particular, the Delta variant? You know, that remains a big issue that could hurt the economy's recovery. And, you know, that remains one of the key factors driving the, the economy today. Uh, one more question, Gary. Uh, what are, are the policy changes that the Fed might be looking at over the next few months? And how might those policy changes affect the recovery in financial markets? Oh, tough question, Paul. I think that the short answer is it will 
we should expect to see higher interest rates um, overall. Uh, the first thing the Fed is likely to start is tapering or reducing its monthly purchases of U.S. Treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities, you know, starting, you know, reducing them from the $120 billion a month uh, over time. Um, and then, you know, the Fed needs to be careful here because after the financial crisis, when they began reducing their bond or when, when Chairman Bernanke noted that they were going to reduce their bond purchases and testimony, uh, you know, that's a policy that should increase longer term interest rates, including mortgages. The financial markets had a had a tantrum and uh, Chair Powell and the Fed don't want another financial market tantrum. So they're trying to be very careful with the markets and with their communications and to get get folks ready for, you know, reductions in bond purposes. You know, and I think uh, we've seen a number of policymakers have publicly suggested we're, you know, that they're moving in that direction with, you know, reducing the bond purchases to, that are designed basically to lower longer term rates. Well, there's lots of information there, Gary, for people to absorb. And uh, thank you, Gary. Thank you so much. And talk to you in, in a couple of weeks. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Head on over to our webpage, kvmr.org, to listen to an extended version of Gary Zimmerman's economic report. Last week, the Environmental Protection Agency banned the use of the pesticide chlorpyrifos on food crops. Al Stoller spoke with Carolyn Cox of Californians for Pesticide Reform and brings us this update. If we're walking through the woods and suddenly see a critter, and the critter sees us as dinner, our brain sends a message to our legs, get running. Our brain talks to our body. Our brain talks to itself. The words it uses are chemicals. Industrial agriculture plants thousands upon thousands of acres with the same tasty crops, which insects see as an open invitation to party. And so insecticides are sprayed by the ton over farms and fields. Some of these insecticides work by messing with the chemicals the bugs' brains use to talk. We inherit our mother's smile, our father's laugh, but other things we inherit go farther back, back more great-great-greats than you can count, back millions of years, like hands with five fingers that we share with chimps and gorillas. Going further back, we share things with even more animals, with lizards, frogs, fish. Go back far enough, we share traits with our insect cousins. For instance, we share the way our brains talk with chemicals. The insecticide chlorpyrifos prevents insect brains from talking. Unfortunately, it does the same to your brain and mine. The Environmental Protection Agency last week banned the use of chlorpyrifos on food crops. I asked Carolyn Cox of Californians for Pesticide Reform how long people have been fighting to get chlorpyrifos out of our food. You can go back a long ways, but I go back to 1996 when Congress passed a law called the Food Quality Protection Act. Probably the number one thing that that law was meant to accomplish was to get chlorpyrifos off the market, out of our food. 1996, a little bit more than 25 years ago. Hard to believe. Why is it so important to ban chlorpyrifos? 
by definition, pesticides are designed to kill or damage living things. Unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, you and I and the rest of us are not too different from the pests that the pesticides are supposed to be killing. Chlorpyrifos is basically a nerve poison, a descendant, if you will, of chemicals that were used as nerve gases in World War II. In insects, it blocks the action of an enzyme that is necessary for the nervous system to operate properly. And in fact, it does the same thing to you. It's just that insects are more susceptible to it. Especially for what segment of the human population is it dangerous? If a woman is exposed to chlorpyrifos while she's pregnant, chlorpyrifos, very small amounts of it, damage the developing brain of the baby inside her If you look at children whose mothers were exposed to chlorpyrifos during pregnancy, there's a link between chlorpyrifos exposure and a number of problems, but probably the most serious is lower IQ test scores. Chlorpyrifos can still be used on golf courses. For what uses is chlorpyrifos banned? EPA is ending uses of chlorpyrifos on food crops. The definition of food crops includes not just things that you and I eat, but things that are used to feed animals that you and I eat. The minor amount you'd find in food, even that is hazardous. EPA found what they called risks that were unacceptable for what they refer to as dietary exposure, the food that you eat. What no pesticide does is actually solve a pest problem. In order to actually solve a pest problem, what you have to do is the things that organic growers do all the time, you know, healthy soil, crop rotations. If pesticides actually solved pest problems, probably shouldn't even have to use them anymore, right? Because we've been using them for decades. But in fact, the use of pesticides has grown over the last decades. And that's actually clear evidence that they're not actually solving pest problems. Carolyn, it's been really good talking with you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having this conversation. I'm speaking with Carolyn Cox of Californians for Pesticide Reform. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That wraps up our newscast for this evening, Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. We get support from Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R 
pauseac.com. Coming up next is Embracing the Journey with Lori Burkhart Frank. Tonight's topic is Signs of Decline. Then, at 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! Thank you very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendonça, wishing you a safe evening. Thank you.